remember, we are in Mark chapter 14. Remember the setting of Mark chapter 14 is uh, predicting and showing the, uh, Jesus in his last week of his life. Um, remember the last couple of weeks we've been with Jesus in a couple of different rooms. Last week we were in the upper room with Jesus and we were uh, watching him with his disciples uh, in the Last Supper with the Lord. Scripture says in Mark 14, 26, that after the Last Supper, after Jesus finished the dinner, that he and his disciples left, they sang a song and left and went out to the Mount of Olives. And that's where we pick up the story. On the way out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus, in particular, Mark gives us this interaction with Jesus and Peter uh, while the others are there as well. Uh, Not only do we give a conversation with Peter at that moment, we also see later on some events in Peter's life that we're going to look at this morning. And so the title of the message, the idea behind the message this morning is simply uh, Peter's story and ours, because uh, Peter's story really is ours. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 26 through 31, and then we're going to skip down and look at verses 66 uh, through 72. So before we get into the text this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, giving us opportunities particularly the last couple of weeks, to be with you in the room where uh, the lady poured expensive perfume to anoint you. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to open your word and be with you and your disciples during the Last Supper, to hear the conversations, to understand your purposes. And God, this morning as we see Jesus interact with Peter, we pray that you would not only give us information and details about the story, but that you would help us connect with Peter's story because it's our story. Help us not only understand the the details, but understand the meaning behind it and your purposes in it. We pray by the power of your spirit that you would teach us in all wisdom and all truth, that you would find us ready to receive it all. And to respond to it all. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or beside you, behind you, that they would receive and respond to the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 26. Starting at verse 26. And go through verse 31. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away from me, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. Skip over to verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. 
But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are the Galilean too. But again, he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man you were talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Peter's story, his proclamation, his fall, and his restoration are recorded in all four of the Gospels. And not one Gospel gives any excuse for Peter. It's a sad record of Peter's, uh, part of Peter's life. And you have to ask yourself, why was it recorded all four times? Well, I think it's because, partly because we need to give it four times the attention. Spurgeon said this about the scene. Let your pity and love to Jesus flow in deep and broad streams while you behold Peter, the one that ate bread with him and then lifting up his heel against him and even declaring that he knows not the man. Let your love go towards Jesus in Peter's denial. Yet at the same time, and I believe more importantly, also let your mind and heart go to Jesus. Because in the middle of this scene is the redeeming, the powerful, redeeming grace of Jesus. And I think it's there for time for us to get that as well. One commentator says, one of the purposes of this story in particular is to show the frailty of men. In fact, maybe the special purpose of the whole story is that the best of men are but men... At their best. This is Peter, who seemed to be a leader among all the disciples. Was frail. Fallible. He denied Jesus. Peter's fall seems to say to every one of us, you too are weak. You too will fall if you are left to yourselves. Therefore, trust Jesus fully and do not trust yourself. Look away to and rely upon, your, don't rely upon your own experience or the firmness of your own resolutions, for you will assuredly fall as Peter did. That was another uh, paraphrase from Spurgeon. Now there's two things I want to talk about. There's just two points. You'll be thanking me later that I didn't do the third point. It's just two points. Two things to talk about. One is Peter's fall, and one is Peter's restoration. So first, concerning Peter's fall. It was a very sad fall for Peter. We look at this story, we read this story, and we think how sad it is for Peter. One of the most favored of the disciples. Jesus had many disciples. And then he even says to the twelve, I have chosen you, my twelve. And then out of the twelve, he even takes even three that are even closer, Peter, James, and John. Peter was a close friend of Jesus. One author wrote this, The higher our privilege, the greater is our responsibility. The nobler our vocation, is, the more horrible is our sin when we fall into it. It's a sad, sad fall concerning Peter, especially Peter. And Peter was warned about it. Verse 27, all of you are going to fall away. Jesus is quoting Zechariah 13, 7. All of you are going to fall away. When the shepherd is struck down, the sheep are going to scatter. And what does Peter say? 
Not me. That prophecy may be true for everybody else, but not me. When Peter declares that he would not fall away, he's saying, Jesus, that's not true what you're saying. Has Jesus ever said anything not true? Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Not that he'll deny him once. He's going to deny him three times. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Now, I want to take you again back to 33 AD. To move from the upper room, to walk with Jesus and Peter and the disciples to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then to the high priest's court. To get in there and see and feel and hear what's going on. You ready to go there? Seth, you did it in the first service, and I appreciate it. He's the only one that said yes. I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> Is everybody ready to go there? Yeah, yeah th thank you. Thank, thank you, Seth. I appreciate that. I've read all four accounts of this. I've tried to study all four accounts this week, and I've tried it best as I can to put them all together with the details. It's Thursday night, late. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the upper room. In their minds, they're trying to figure out what just happened with Jesus, his predictions, his washing their feet, him talking about who the greatest is by being the servant, Judas, the betrayal, the arrest, his death. And along the way, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And the other disciples are there. If you remember that when they have the Passover meal, they go from there to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is arrested. The betrayal that Jesus talked about by Judas comes to fruition. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. And they haul Jesus off and arrest him. During that scene, Peter, remember, strikes one of the guards and cuts off his ear. All this is happening. And now at this time, Peter watches as Jesus is led away by the Roman guards. And they come to the place of the high priest's house. Most of the disciples, the prophecy has already proven true. They've scattered. No one's around. But when the, when the soldiers led Peter away, he follows behind. He watches, and he follows the, the Roman guards and Jesus to the high priest's house. And at the high priest's house, there's, there's a courtyard there. And outside the courtyard, Peter is there watching the soldiers, watching the other people, watching the servant girls uh, run errands. And he sees a place to warm himself by some fire. Now, in order, in order to really understand and get yourself there, this is all happening after midnight. It's late in the night. And in the darkness, Peter comes and he gets admitted to this courtroom, uh, courtyard area. And he thinks, no one's going to notice me here. At least that's what he thought. Now, he's in enemy territory in the middle of the night. And there's no reason that he's thinking that they're going to notice him. And so armed with this thought, he brushes past this servant and that servant. And then just as he's getting to the fire, one of the servant girls from the high priest comes out and says, Wait, I recognize you. 
you were with the Nazarene, Jesus, the Galilean. Now, can you just imagine for a second how these words must have hit Peter like an electric shock? Somehow, she recognized him. How she knew him, we don't know. That she didn't know his name didn't matter. What she knew is that she had connected Peter with Jesus, and that was what was important. So now Peter's having to think fast. And impulsively, he spurts out the, the excuse of all excuses, kind of the one that's always, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter thinks to himself, if I just play dumb, if I just act ignorant about what's going on, that should really work. And it worked, or at least Peter thought it did for a little bit. But as he stood around the fire and he saw the soldiers, he saw people looking at him and pointing and whispering and nodding. And Peter saw them looking. And then another girl servant girl comes up to him one that had been nodding and whispering he said that was the one with jesus and peter denies it again now you can all almost feel that peter's heart is just pumping inside his chest he is behind enemy lines he's thinking if they notice me they're going to do to me what they're doing to jesus but if i leave it's going to arouse too much suspicion that i really was with him and so he's stuck in this rock-in-a-hard-place kind of thing. This lady says, you're with him. And what does he say? I don't know the man. One of the accounts says that they knew it was connected to, Peter was connected to Jesus because of his accent, his Galilean accent. And what's really sad about this scenario, this second denial is this, is that Jesus is reduced in Peter's mind to just a man. When before Peter had said to Jesus and of Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And now he's saying, I don't know the man. Peter knows he is in real trouble. After about an hour... Scripture says that it appears that Jesus' interview with the high priest is over and he comes walking out of the court, out of the, the house into the courtyard. And the guards going back and forth, they notice Peter. And one of the guards looks at him and says, you were with him that night. I know you were with him. And his voice sounds more convinced. His voice sounds a little more tense. And here's the reason why. Evidently, this guy had gone to the garden when Jesus was arrested because Scripture says in John's account that this guy was the relative of one of the guys, Malchus, who Peter's cut his ear off. And so this guy's really fired up. And here's Peter, knowing that he's caught. Just like today, when a man is backed into a corner... They will do almost anything to save himself. And so what does Peter do in this third one? He begins to cuss and to swear that he never knows him. In other words, leave me alone. Some commentators say he hasn't used words like that since he was a fisherman. 
And there was a reason behind it. He thought, how could a person that followed Jesus curse and swear like I am? He was trying to save himself. Now, here's the amazing thing. At the very same time, Scripture says that Peter is throwing out these curse words and swearing that he doesn't know Jesus, that he hears a rooster crow. Luke twenty two sixty. immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, with this story and with these details and with our imaginations trying to get into the story, we have to start asking ourselves some questions. And the first question that's probably on everybody's mind is, why did Peter deny Jesus? Well, maybe some of these answers you and I can connect with. The first reason that Peter denied Jesus is that because of his fear of man. How many of you have not responded the way you wanted to respond because of fear of what other people were going to say about your response? Peter had this fear of other people and what they thought of him. One commentator said this, it was, a, it was but a silly maid. Another gossiped with her and a few idle women that were serving men around the outdoor fire, but Peter was afraid of them, and therefore he was not afraid to deny his master. Peter denied him because of what others would think. Perhaps one of the main reasons for Peter's denial is that Peter had confidence in himself. One author said it this way, if Peter had felt himself to be weaker, he would really have been stronger. But because he felt so strong in himself, therefore he proved to be weak and so denied his master. Now this is a big factor here too. This last reason I think is a big factor that's kind of missed sometimes is that he did not expect to be questioned by a servant girl. He wasn't prepared for it. Her question caught him totally off guard. Never in his mind would he think a servant girl was going to question me about my connection with Jesus. And yet she did. And Peter denied a servant girl. Not to the high priest, not to the Roman guards, not to anyone important in that culture, but a servant girl, Peter denied his connection with Jesus. Think about this. Peter is denying his connection to Jesus in front of a servant girl while at the same time Jesus is standing before the high priest not caving in. Peter had forgotten what Jesus said to them in the garden. Jesus said to them in the garden, what? Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And that's exactly what Peter had done. He had forgotten to watch and pray, and he fell into temptation. And these servant girls and this guy caught him, and he lied. And you know as well as I do, one lie has to lead to another lie to cover up the first lie. And so it goes. So what happened to Peter is not a fluke. He himself uh, did this whole string of things about bad decisions. And here's five great mistakes that he made that I think we can connect with. The first mistake is this. He talked when he should have been listening. You know anybody like that? In the upper room that night, on the way out to the Mount of Olives, at the garden, he was talking instead of listening to what Jesus was saying. Within six hours of the upper room until the courtyard, he had already forgotten what Jesus said or didn't care enough about it. 
He didn't appreciate his own weakness. Another mistake is that he ignored Jesus' warning. Another mistake is that he was unprepared prayerfully when the attack came. And he compounded his sin by first deceiving and then denying. Sir Walter Scott in his poem says, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. It's true of Peter, and it's true of us. And here's the interesting thing about this story. Peter only fooled himself. He didn't fool the servant girls. He didn't fool the guard. He didn't fool anybody. He only fooled himself. They knew he was lying. You, you know, sometimes, especially with the kids, sometimes you just know somebody's not telling you the truth, right? You see it, in, you hear it in their voice, you watch their face, you see their eyes, you, you see all that stuff. And, and these people knew Peter wasn't telling the truth. He was denying him. Peter, this rock, was crumbling in this critical moment. And he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, just as Jesus said. And here's the takeaway from Peter's fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, there is definitely something we can connect to with Peter's fall. But hopefully, this morning, we can also connect with Peter's restoration. And I believe there's four steps in Peter's restoration and his return to the Lord. And the first one is this. The rooster crowed. Anybody got a good rooster crow that they want to try this morning? Jim all did it for us in first service. Even if I didn't ask, I knew he was going to do it. Here's, here's the amazing thing about God. God can use anything at any time, anywhere, to pierce the heart of man. Think about it. God used a rooster to pierce Peter's heart. And here's what I take away from that. We cannot preach half such impressive sermons as that bird did that night. This is a message from a rooster to, from God to the heart of Peter. And the, the gospel accounts of all this story are unanimous on this one point that the rooster crowed at the exact moment of Peter's third denial, just as Jesus said. Coincidence? I don't think so. As Peter is spewing out all these cuss words and swearing, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered. It all became clear. It all made sense. He understood how cocky he was in his own confidence, how reckless he had been to not listen to Jesus, how prideful he was to think he was above it. One author said this, There are many roosters that God can cause to crow when he wants to. And they startle the sinner as much as that one in Jerusalem startled Peter. We've all been there. We've all had that rooster crow in our lives. Now, I want to take a minute just to talk about roosters. Is that okay? God made roosters really cool. God made roosters to serve as trumpets of the morning. 
to signal a new day has come, to rouse sleepers from their bed, and to remind us to get up and get going. Now, some of us don't like the sound of roosters. Peter knew all about roosters. He had heard roosters his whole life. He knew the sound of roosters, but he will never forget the sound of that rooster that night. And because of the prominence of the story of Peter, this rooster who's recorded in all four of the Gospels, this hidden character in the story, has at times been used as a Christian symbol. Some churches even place a rooster on top of their steeple. I didn't even recognize this, but look at this. That's on top of a church. And so this rooster is used as a symbol. Think about it. This rooster is used as a symbol that represents the weakness of man and the power of God. This rooster also is a symbol to remind us that, that Christ can extend hope to anywhere, at any time, through anything. This rooster is used as a Christian symbol to also, for each of us, to wake up and be watchful. It's a spiritual wake-up call. And this rooster is representative. This rooster also represents to each of us, 1 Corinthians 5.17, that the old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. And that's what we find in Peter's story as well. A new day of forgiveness is going to dawn for Peter. One author said this, Our past failures can be battle scars in our lives propelling us towards greater devotion and stricter loyalty to Jesus when we recall how much we have been forgiven. That's what the rooster crow call does. Jesus is truth. We can either hear it as guilt or we can hear it as grace. We can hear it as defeat or we can hear it as a new determination. The rooster crowed. Now another step in Peter's restoration is this, the look of Jesus. Now Luke is the only one who records this. This one detail, and you've got to get there with me. Jesus coming out of the court, into the courtyard. It's dark. There's a fire here and a fire there, maybe. It's after midnight. An hour or so has passed since his first time he denied Jesus. And as the rooster crowed on the third time, Luke twenty two sixty one says that the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. This perfectly timed moment, Peter cursing denials, the rooster crowing and he looks up and his eyes Lock with Jesus. There's power in that moment. Remember what has taken place in the arrest. Jesus, having been beaten and spit upon, eyes probably black and blue, blood probably trickling from its mouth, looks at Peter. There's power in that look. What is that look saying? He doesn't say a word. We all know looks can be powerful. 
As a kid, my mom didn't have to do anything but look. <laughs> Teachers, coaches. What do you think this look of Jesus looked like? Here's what I think it looked like. The look of Jesus, first, it was convicting. Obviously, it was a convicting look. Can you just imagine Peter? And here's the, here's the understanding of conviction. Conviction is when truth and error collide and truth wins. Peter knew his error and he had been confronted by truth and truth was winning in his heart and he was convicted. That's what conviction is. Truth wins. And this was the look Jesus gave, a convicting look to Peter. There was a second thing about this look. It was a compassionate look. Even in the midst of the conviction, there's compassion. It was as Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, you know now how weak you are. Don't trust yourself. Trust me. I can restore you, Peter. This will not be your defining moment, Peter. I have compassion for you, Peter. Come back to me. I still love you, Peter. Every look of Jesus is a heart-piercing look and a heart-healing look all at the same time. That's what Peter was experiencing in this moment. It was a look that showed the darkness of his sin and yet the light of Christ's hope. And in this look, it was a convicting look. It was a compassionate look, but it was also a commissioning look. Peter took this look, and it says that he began to whip, uh, weep bitterly, that he understood, I've got to live differently. There is repentance in his heart. There is a turning in his heart at this moment. And it says, Jesus is saying, weep, repent. There is a new day coming for you, Peter. I've got more to do in you and through you. It's almost as if Jesus, when he was in the garden with God at the very beginning, and it was darkness everywhere, and Jesus said, let there be light, and there was light. The same darkness in Peter's heart and in Peter's mind and in Peter's decision has now been exposed, and Jesus says, let there be light, Peter. A new day is happening. There was the rooster, there was the look of Jesus, and there was the words of Jesus. Peter could hold on to the promises of God. What Jesus said is going to happen. It's going to be true. And then we see Peter's tears. This word for tears here, it says that he kept crying. It, it, it wasn't just a, like a sniffle. It was a bitter weep, meaning that he kept crying. He was pouring out his heart. And here's the truth. It's the same word we see for Judas when he wept bitterly after what he had done to betray Jesus. But here's the difference. Tears are good if they lead to devotion to Jesus and a new determination to serve him. If not, it will lead to destruction. No change. Author Frederick Beekner said this, whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay attention to the closest attention to it. Peter wept bitterly 
And what does the psalmist say about a broken heart? A contrite and broken heart God will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. Now, I, I just want to say something about Peter. I like Peter. This week I have fallen deeper in love with Peter. I love the guy. I like him, and, and y'all should too. Don't hold this all against him. I'm not taking anything away from his disobedience, his disloyalty, his denial. I'm not taking anything away from that. But I believe Peter was a man of faith. And a man of faith ran into a, an obstacle that caused his courage to fail. Will Barkley said this about Peter. Peter fell into temptation that could only come to a brave man. The man of courage always run more risk than the man who seeks placid safety. Liability to temptation is the price that a man pays when he is adventurous in mind and action. Remember, where are all the other disciples? Gone. Peter didn't do right in the courtyard, but he was there. He didn't say the right things, but he was there. Remember Jesus prayed? I pray that your faith does not fail. Jesus' prayer was answered. Peter's faith did not fail. His courage failed. Peter never lost his faith. In the moment of crisis, he lost his courage. And here's the good news for broken people. Jesus knew about Peter's denial way before he did. And he knew there was a better day after the denial. He knew what Peter would do. He knew how he would do it. And he also knew what he was going to do in and through Peter from it. One analogy that one commentator said, a, broken, a bone that is broken often becomes stronger after it is healed. Something in the healing process actually makes the break point stronger than it was before. God can take us where we are broken and make us stronger in that same spot than we ever were before. Because you never read about Peter denying Jesus again. Peter's guilt was turned into grace, his shame into sympathy, his failure into faithfulness, because that is just what Jesus does. What did Peter lose? What do we lose in his failure and the failure? He left his he lost his self-importance, his pride, his self-confidence, his rash impulsiveness, and his unreliability. That's what he lost in his failure. And here's what he gained in his restoration. Humility, a renewed confidence in God's words, tested courage, determination to serve Christ, a willingness to use his experience to help others. What's fascinating about this is that this story has been repeated over and over and over for centuries. Whenever you hear of Jesus and his arrest, you hear of Peter and the rooster. 2,000 years of this story being told. And here's the reason why. Few biblical stories connect with us like this story. We get it. We understand it. And the mercy in the story is that Christ didn't treat Peter as Peter treated Christ. So who's this story for? This story is for you who are being tempted, who feel the pull of circumstances conspiring to draw you away from the Lord. There are some here this morning who can identify with the fear that people, uh, Peter had of other people's opinion of them. That's pulling them away. 
Do you feel weak and confused? Peter felt that way. Are you discouraged? Peter felt that way. Do you feel back into a corner? So did Peter. That's why this story's for you. But this story is also for Peter who people who've messed up, who've fallen. Anybody here ever messed up? It's a little quieter, Seth. I'm not sure what happened there. Perhaps, perhaps this past week, this past month, this past year, in your life, you, you carry around this load of guilt and shame about words you've spoken, about things you've said, about things you've done, and there's just this weight of guilt. Perhaps you've denied, denied Jesus by things you said or things you should have said when you know you should have said them. By your actions, you've denied him. Maybe you've been places where you ought not have been. Maybe you're in relationships that you shouldn't be in. Jesus would say to each one of us, take heart and remember my words. See me look at you. And so the whole point of the story, the primary application is this, is for those who are coming back to God. Perhaps you know all about the weeping, the conviction, the repentance, and you're ready to come back to God. This story is for you. No story in the Bible gives us more hope. If Peter can fall, anybody can fall. And if Peter can come back, anybody can come back. Now, i got to give one final thought, and I'm going to be quiet. Have you ever thought about how this story even got in there to begin with? How would it have even gotten in the four Gospels? Peter had to tell his story. Peter owned his story. He owned his denial. Nobody else was there at the fire. It had to come from Peter. Peter owned his own story, his denial, his fall, and he proclaimed his re uh, restoration. And because of that, because he owned it, there's hope for all of us, the best of us, the worst of us, and the rest of us. Jesus still speaks through Peter's story. You think you've fallen short, you feel like you've denied him, look at what happened to me, Peter says. Do not despair. God loves you so much. It doesn't matter what you've done. If God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. He loves you. He always has. And he always will. Let's pray. God, as the praise team comes up, as we get ready to sing this last song, we, we close in prayer not as a, a time just to finish up the message. We take time to pause and to think and to connect with you through the scripture of Peter's story. God, I pray in this next minute of silence that you would help each of us to connect. Maybe there are some here who are being tempted and led away and are denying Jesus. Maybe there are those here who have fallen and messed up and maybe this morning, through Peter's life and through his story with you, you're calling them back to yourself.
to be restored and to be renewed. God, in this next few minutes, would you speak to the hearts of your people here by the power of your spirit? fallen, Jesus can pick you up. If you're broken, he can make you whole. If you failed, he can make you useful again. If you've lost your courage, Jesus can give it back to you again. Take heart and believe the good news. If Jesus did it for Peter, he can do it for you. Amen.